Well, good morning. <clears throat> How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I am thrilled to be with you this morning, and it feels like it's been a while, but it hasn't been that long. It's only been two weeks. And um, I'm thrilled to be with you here this morning, and, and I'm thrilled to deliver this message. I, I think we can probably all relate um, with what I'm going to talk about today, and so I'm excited for that. I certainly can relate with it. Um, but over the past couple months, we've been focusing on Jesus, on different moments and aspects of his life and ministry. And we came to the pinnacle of this series a couple weeks ago in our Easter service, and what an awesome service, what an awesome energy that was in this sanctuary two weeks ago with us, and what an awesome calling we walked away from here with. And that's that we can take up our cross because of the resurrection. We can take up our cross. We can follow Jesus. And we need to go and make disciples and change the world. Last week, Dale continued on by looking at the practical side of what it means to go and make disciples, to take up our cross, and to go out into the world. And so where we're at in our story today is that Jesus is resurrected he comes to his disciples, he gives them the huge task of go and change the world, go and make disciples, and we have that same charge, go and make disciples. So let me ask you this morning, how's it going? How's that whole thing going? Two weeks ago, we had so much excitement, and we, we, were, we were lit up, and we said, go change the world, go and make disciples. How's it going? How is it going for you? Now, now, I hope that all of you here this morning would say, man, there's just been a fire lit under me, and God is just moving in my life, and, and I'm just on fire for Jesus, and I'm going, and I'm doing God's work, and I'm building the kingdom. I hope that all of you can say, every day since Easter, I've felt the presence of God, and I've felt God moving, and I've seen God working in my life. I hope that you've had opportunities to share Christ with the people in your lives, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. I hope that you're seeing movement. Now, I would imagine that if we were to survey this congregation this morning, Maybe we wouldn't get that answer from everybody. I would imagine that maybe some of the answers we would hear to how's it going would be answers like this. Well, it's been a roller coaster. There have been really good days. There have been days that I've been on fire, but there have been some days that I've struggled. There have been some days where I didn't have that energy. Maybe there have been highs and lows. Maybe some of you would say, hey, I walked away from Easter and that calling and I was on fire and I was excited, but, but then I just cooled down. I mean, we can't keep that fire going, can we? Maybe some of you this morning would say, it, it, it was going great until blank happened. And I don't know what that blank is in your life. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's kids. Maybe something happened that kind of derailed where you were going and that, that fire that you had, that, that excitement you had to go and make disciples. Maybe outside circumstances or personal struggles kind of derailed that. Well, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? 
I mean, isn't that the story of our lives? That it seems like we're on a roller coaster. It seems like we have these mountaintop experiences. We have these moments that we're charged up and we're ready to go. And then it seems like maybe there are times that, that we're in kind of a lull. And it seems like outside circumstances can, can, can slow us down. Actually, that's pretty biblical. You would have a hard time finding a biblical character that God used that didn't go through some difficult times. You would have a hard time finding a biblical character that was always on the mountaintop and didn't experience struggle. It's the story. We talked about the disciples on Easter and how after Jesus came to them and sent them out, they went out and they changed the world. But if you read through the book of Acts, guess what? It wasn't all a mountaintop for them. There were struggles. They spent time in prison. They had struggles with divisions in the church. They had struggles with leadership. They, they hit bumps in the road. It wasn't all a mountaintop. And so this is the story of our lives, isn't it? When I was a junior in high school, I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad became a youth pastor when I was two years old. We lived right over here off Tylersville by the old Lakota school. And my dad became a youth pastor at Springdale Church when I was two years old. And so I grew up seeing my dad minister. And I always loved watching him serve people and love people. And I always thought, I'm going to do that someday. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel that calling. I just, I just wanted to be like dad. And then my junior year of high school, I was in Panama City Beach, Florida, with the Tennessee, this is confusing, with the Tennessee District Youth Camp. We were in Panama City Beach, Florida, and we had a week long there at the beach, and we had services. And in one of those services, I clearly heard, God call me. I clearly felt God saying, I want you to give me everything. I want you to serve me with everything you have. And just like today, much, much worse than today, tears were streaming down my face. I could barely see where I was walking. And I walked down to an altar and I said, God, you've got it all. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll move to Africa. I'll be a missionary. I'll, I'll work any job. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I had this mountaintop experience where I knew that God was with me and I knew that God was calling me. And then I went back to school for my senior year. And there were sports and the pressures of sports and there were friends and, and the pressures of fitting in and, 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 and trying to, to be accepted and, and the pressures of school and all the things that were going on and all of a sudden that mountaintop turned into a, a, a valley. And then during my senior year, I had the opportunity with the Tennessee district to go to Papua New Guinea for a mission trip. And we spent a week and a half in Papua New Guinea uh, with the Radcliffs and that was a mountaintop experience where it was incredible, and it reaffirmed what God wanted me to do. God wanted me to give everything, not, not necessarily be a missionary, but give everything. And it was this mountaintop experience, and then I went back to school, and I went back to everyday life, and I hit some bumps, and I struggled. And, and then I'll never forget, the, the summer after my senior year of high school, I was sitting in district assembly. How many of you have been to, have been to a district assembly? Okay, how many of you have been to a district assembly when you were 17 or 18 years old? All right, how many of you paid attention for that whole district assembly when you were 17 or 18 years old? I'm putting my hand out. 
And so I was in district assembly when I was, I think I was 17 or 18, my senior year, after my senior year, and I'm sitting in district assembly, and the, the thing's going on, and I'm honestly, I was sitting there in the seats goofing around with my friends. I wasn't being bad, I wasn't being mean, but I, I really wasn't focused. And I will never forget I, I did not hear a voice from God, but God got my attention and said, what are you doing? Don't you remember what I called you to? And you're messing around. You're, you're here goofing off. And it wasn't about the fact that I wasn't paying attention to that service. It was a bigger thing. It was a symbol of something bigger in my life that, that God had called me at the mountaintop and, and I was messing up and I was in the valley and I was struggling and I was goofing around. The story of our lives is this roller coaster. I'm sure that every single one of you here today can relate with the idea of a roller coaster. Every single one of you can think of times when you were at, at the top of the mountain and God was moving and God was working. And then you can remember some times where maybe you were struggling a little bit or things weren't always at that, that peak. Well, here's the problem with the roller coaster. Here's the problem with that. See, we have a tendency, we have this tendency that when we leave the mountaintop experience or when we're at the mountaintop experience and then we hit bumps or we struggle, we have this tendency to start to think that we've messed up, that it's all over. We start to have the tendency when we come off this mountaintop and then we struggle, we have the tendency to think that maybe we're alone. Maybe we feel like we, we've, we've blown it. Maybe we start to get down on ourselves. Maybe we feel like God has abandoned us. Maybe we feel like we missed it. We, God called me to something great. God was working, but man, I've blown it. And, and maybe we come to a point, I think it's pretty easy to come to a point where you even might start thinking that God is against you. Maybe outside circumstances are happening that you can't control and you think, God, where are you at? Why are you doing this? What's going on? And you start to feel like God's not with you. Or maybe you struggle and you fail on your own and you struggle and you start to think, oh, I blew it. I blew it. I'm out. That's kind of our natural tendency. Thursday nights are, are one of my favorite nights of the week because it's daddy night. It's when Sam and Eli and I spend the evening together. Megan stays out at her parents' house with the two youngest because she stays at school late. And so Thursday nights are daddy night. And it's a great night because I've got four boys. And it's hard to give attention to all four boys as much as I would like to give attention to each one of them. And so Thursday night is an awesome night for me to hang out with Eli and Sam, just the three of us. And we do really fun things. We play games. We, we, we go to movies. We go to the web. We do whatever we can. I try to make Thursday night a special night where I can show the boys that I really love them and care about them. And, and I'm going to tell on myself. This last Thursday night, Eli had a, had a baseball game at, eight, at 6.45 that was going until 8.15. And, and there's a movie that my kids really wanted to see with me. It came out about a month ago, and, and I really, I wanted to see it with them, but life's just been so busy and hard that I haven't had a chance to take them to that movie. And so Eli's scrimmage, though, happened to fall right in that time where they were offering that movie. And so I'm going to tell on myself today and tell you that I took the kids to a movie at 9.30 p.m. 
on a school night. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. I wanted to show Eli and Sam how much I love them. I want them to know more than anything that they're special to me. I want them to know that I'm for them and that I love them. And here's the crazy thing. As many times as I've gone way out of my way to show them that I love them and that I care about them, we still have these crazy moments where all that has to happen is one thing has to not go their way or they get in trouble one time and all of a sudden I start hearing things like, you don't even care about me. You don't love me. You want me to be miserable. How many of you, how many of you remember saying that to your parents? Okay, yeah, yeah. Listen, I, re I remember thinking that. How many of you remember thinking that about your parents? All right, when I, was, when I was a senior in high school, I went to prom, and it was a group of Impact Team kids. Impact Team was a group of, of Nazarene kids from the district that went and sang at different churches, so we're talking about good kids here. And I went to prom with one of the girls from Impact, and there was about four couples, and all of the couples spent the night at one of the per people's houses that night. So we all went to prom together, and then they were all spending the night at, at one of the people's houses. And guess who didn't get to spend the night at those people's houses, this guy. My parents said, no, absolutely not. And I remember thinking, come on, I'm a good kid. These are my church friends. What, what, everyone else is able to spend the night. Why are you not letting me? And I remember thinking, you're, you're holding me back. You, you're not for me. Isn't that ridiculous? I'm sure that my dad, over and over again, went out of his way to show me that he loved me and cared about me. And it doesn't take much for us to start thinking, to start getting in our head that people are turned on us, are against us. I think if, if we're all honest, we can all remember times where we struggled with that with our parents. And how frustrating is it? I mean, if, if your parents here this morning, how frustrating is that? We, and so we go back to God. We've seen over and over again that this is not the nature of God. In fact, Jesus showed us through his ministry that he constantly spent time with people that weren't perfect. He constantly spent time and ate in the houses of people that were struggling. He constantly invested himself in people that were struggling. And then we see that Jesus gave everything for us. He died on a cross for us. Why? Because he loves us. Because he's for us. And even after all of our struggles, he continues to call us. But when we start messing up, our natural reaction is to think that God is going to toss us aside. How frustrating must that be for God? As a parent, it's so annoying when you've gone out of your way over and over again, and then you hear things like, you don't love me, you don't care about me, you don't, you're holding me back. How frustrating must it be for a God that has given everything for us, that has sent his son to a cross for, for Jesus, how frustrating must it be when, when he over and over again invested in his disciples and over and over again called them and loved them even when they didn't deserve it. And then, and then we start getting these feelings of, he's against us. He's turned on us. I think we can all relate with this today. And so today we're going to look into to Mark chapter 16. 
16 to the end of the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to look into Romans chapter 8. And I think this stuff is really important for us today because I think it addresses exactly where we are when we're talking about this roller coaster experience. And so Mark 16 verses 19 to 20 says this. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and excuse me, preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. And so we've seen Jesus minister. We've seen Jesus march into Jerusalem with Palm Sunday. We've seen Jesus die on a cross. We've seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. We've seen Jesus show up to his disciples and charge them with this awesome calling to go and make disciples. And now we see Jesus ascend to the right hand of the throne. Now, at first glance, this doesn't seem like a big deal in Mark's text. This doesn't seem like, in fact, most of the Gospels don't make a huge deal about about this part of it. But this is a huge deal. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the throne. And it's not a big deal in Mark, but that's why we're going to jump into Romans, because it's a big deal for us today. It is important for us to understand And so Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 35 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? We're going to come back to these things in a second. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So let's jump back. In response to these things, chapter 8 has listed out a a, a list of things, and these are super important, so I want to talk to you about them. Number one, it says that through Christ, we are adopted into sonship. And so the first thing I want you to understand this morning is that you are a son or daughter of God. You are adopted into sonship. The second thing it says, because of that, our present sufferings and our present circumstances are nothing compared to the glory of being a son or daughter of God. What you're going through today is nothing. No matter how hard it is, what you're going through today is nothing compared to the fact that you're an heir to the kingdom. You are a son or daughter of God. And so you are adopted into sonship. Your present sufferings don't compare. And then in verse 28 it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters." And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So hear what I'm saying this morning. You are a son or daughter of God. Because of that, what you're going through is nothing compared to the glory that God has for you. And so nothing you're going through, it's nothing compared to God's glory. And and, in all things, even in the hardest parts of life, God is working for the good of all who 
love him. And you are heirs to the kingdom. And so here in verse 34, we see what Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father. It says, Jesus is interceding for us. What does that mean? Jesus is interceding for us. What does that mean? Intercede, according to Webster's Dictionary, means to intervene between parties with a view of reconciling differences. So we have a holy God, we have unholy humans, us, and we have Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the holy God, interceding, trying to bring reconciliation, and through Jesus' death on a cross and resurrection, we have reconciliation, and Jesus is interceding and working on our behalf. Jesus is working on our behalf. In verse 31, it says this, and we sang it earlier. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now let me say something. This is very important for you to hear today, and I'm going to say it about four more times. There's no if about it. God is for us. There is no if about it. God loves you, and God is for you. And so Jesus is sitting next to the Father, working on our behalf. What does that mean? Number one, it means he's offering us access to the Father. Think backstage passes here. If you know someone in the band, then you might get to go backstage. Jesus is our backstage access. In fact, if you think of the Old Testament priestly system where there was a curtain that kept the people out, Jesus is our priest that, but that it has gotten rid of that whole system. Jesus offers us access to the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus and because Jesus is interceding for us, we can approach the throne boldly. And so we have access to the Father. The second thing, Jesus is interceding for our forgiveness. Think lawyer. Have you ever had a lawyer represent you? Have you ever had a lawyer represent you when you messed up and, and that lawyer is there to help you out and to, to, to take care of you? Jesus is interceding for our forgiveness. Through his sacrifice, the debt has been paid and Jesus is interceding forever for our forgiveness. The third thing, Jesus is, a, is representing us, is empowering us. And so this makes me think of a, an agent. If you're, a, if you're a star, if you're a sports hero, you have an agent, someone that's working for you, that's trying to put you in the best positions, that's trying to help you out as much as possible. Jesus is representing us to the Father. Jesus is empowering us. He's sending his spirit for us. And so Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Now that doesn't sound like a God that's waiting for us to slip up, does it? That doesn't sound like a God that's turned against us, does it? That doesn't sound like a God that's just waiting to kick us to the curb, does it? See, sometimes we get the wrong view of God. Sometimes we, we often view God as just sitting there waiting for us to fail. We start to think that God is just sitting there waiting for us to mess up so that he can get rid of us. But here's the thing, our God is not waiting for us to fail. Our God is working for us to succeed. There's a huge difference there. He's not waiting to kick us out. He's working to give us success and to make us who he called us to be. We are sons and daughters of the almighty God. 
And Jesus, the same Jesus who's the Son of God, the same Jesus who heals, the same Jesus who was the king that marched into Jerusalem, the same Jesus who defeated death and rose from the dead, the same Jesus that continues to call us when we mess up, Jesus is working at the right hand of the Father so that we will succeed. That's a great person to have on your side, isn't it? Doesn't it pay to have friends in high places? Doesn't it pay to have someone in your corner that's, that's in a high place? Jesus, is there anyone better to have working on your behalf than Jesus? We got, we got a friend in a really high place, and he is constantly working for us. And so that brings us to, um, that brings us to Romans chapter 8, verses 35, and then 37 to 39. Let's jump back into it. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news this morning is this. Nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. Jesus is constantly working on our behalf. Whether you've been at the mountaintop, whether you're in the valley, nothing can separate you from the love of the Father. No matter how many times the disciples messed up, Jesus continued to love them and teach them and call them. They couldn't be separated. Even when they deserted Jesus at his biggest moment, he came back and he came to them. They couldn't be separated. I have a friend named Tony. When I moved to South Carolina, I was a youth pastor and I had a teen in my group and his name was Tyler and Tyler was a little bit of a troublemaker. And Tyler's parents weren't in church. Their names were Tony and Tony, which is pretty awesome. Tone Y and Tone I is what we say. He, Tony, she, Tony. Um, but Tyler was in my group, and he would get in trouble for the first few years I, would, I was there. He got in trouble one year at camp, and, and we had to call home and talk to his parents. And oh my word, that was not a call we looked forward to. Because the Tonys weren't in a really good place. They were struggling. And so we never knew what we were going to hear when we called and talked to them about Tyler. But, but here's the awesome part of this story. Tony grew up in church. His, his parents were kind of like the, the key people in our church in South Carolina. He had grown up in the church. But at some point, Tony ran in the opposite direction of God. He got into things that messed up his life. He spent most of his time with drugs and alcohol and in bars. And his life was a complete mess. But guess what? Nothing could separate him from the love of the Father. And the Father pursued him, and the Father came after him, and guess what? Right now, Tony is standing in Orangeburg, South Carolina, preaching the good news of the gospel, because God pursues. He's a pastor of a church, and nothing can separate us from God's love. Some of you can relate with this. Some of you can think about times in your life where you ran the opposite direction from God, where you were doing exactly the opposite of what God wanted you to do, but God pursues. God doesn't give up. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. Nothing can separate you. 
No matter how many times we've messed up, how many times has God had the opportunity or the right to cut us loose? Think about that in your own life. How many times have you completely blown it and God had every right to kick you to the curb? How many times have we fallen, have we missed it, and God had every opportunity to turn on us, but we have not been separated from God's love? Why do we keep thinking that's going to happen? It's not. God must be sitting there thinking, what do I have to do to show you? What do I have to do to show you that I love you? I've gone out of my way time and again. I sent my son to the cross. You don't have to worry about whether you're loved or not. You are a son or daughter of God. And so I'm going to say it again this morning. God is for us. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, whether you're brand new to it, whether you've been at the highest of highs, or whether your life has been a complete mess and you were at the lowest of lows, God is for us. Whether you're struggling with with self or whether outside circumstances have put you in the valleys, God is for you. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he ascended to continually work on our behalf. And so this scripture, Romans says, we are more than conquerors. We are. We're more than conquerors. You're not just a a cog in the system. You're not just a soldier going out and building the kingdom. You are a son or daughter of the almighty God. You are an heir to the kingdom. We are more than conquerors. We are God's children, and God is for us. And so today, if you find yourself suffering from that post-Easter slump, if you find yourself coming off the mountaintop and struggling in a valley, if you find yourself struggling with outside circumstances, if life has thrown you some curveballs and you just feel like God isn't with you or you feel like you've blown it, or if you've struggled by yourself and, and and you've messed up in your own life and you feel like you've lost it today, If you're not at that mountaintop, it's okay. Because the Jesus that we've been talking about for two months, the Jesus that we're still talking about 2,000 years after he walked the earth, the Jesus that's bigger than sin and death, the Jesus that was resurrected, the Jesus that continues to call us, loves you and is working for you. And so I'm going to have the band come up and play. And I just want you today to understand that you are loved. It won't always be mountaintop experiences. It's not always going to be Easter. That's going to happen once a year. We're going to have moments of, of, of great time with God, and we're going to have moments where we feel like God is with us and everything's going our way. And guess what? We're going to have moments where we struggle. We're going to have moments where we hit speed bumps. And so I want you to understand today that Jesus, now and forever, until he comes again, is sitting at the right hand of the Father and is working for you. God is for us. God is not against us. And because God is for us, nothing can come against us. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that that you're, you're for us. As we've studied all these aspects of Jesus, I mean, we get this picture of of our Messiah and our King, of this, this great and mighty King, this great and mighty God that's so much bigger than us. 
But today, your scripture shows us that even though Jesus is, is the high and mighty king of everything, even though Jesus is above everything else, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne and is working on our behalf. And so, Lord, I pray that, that today as we continue to follow you, as we continue to respond to your call, even if we're not on the mountaintop, if we're, if we're going through a valley, Lord, I pray that we will go, we will know that we have the assurance that you are for us. So, Lord, we give everything to you. I pray that you would be with each and every one of us and that we would know that the Almighty God and that Jesus, the King, is for us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen.